Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, and welcome to the Doctors of Running podcast, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and the science of running and the stuff that we're putting on our feet. Today is episode number 108. It, the team here, I'm Nathan Brown. I'm hosting tonight's episode. With me is Dr. Matt Klein and Dr. David Salas. We have had a ton of growth over the last couple of months, and so I just want to give a brief update about who we are and also a few kind of new updates with what's going on with the team. So we're a group of doctors of physical therapy. This was all started by Matt Klein, uh, you know, 2014 or so, and you know, yeah. we're we're all uh, practitioners, so we all work in uh, physical therapy profession. Some of us as clinicians full time, um, some of us as clinicians part time, and a couple other roles. But we all have our space in uh, in running and in physical therapy. And we have a huge passion for these things. And this space is one that we wanted to bring together to provide education through written reviews about just shoes, but also uh, footwear, science, biomechanics, and a couple other things too. Uh, Our team has the three of us, but also Andrea Myers, who is a PT out in Connecticut. She also is a professional cyclist and does a bike fitting business. Uh, We have a couple other PTs as well. And then a few other members of our team who help with audio engineering and with all of our media stuff. So this is our team. We have a ton of fun together. We're spread out across the country. And if you have any other questions about who we are, you can go to our website, docsofrunning.com. We have an about page, which gives a little bit of a bio to everybody. But I do want to highlight a couple updates for y'all. So Matt, first, can you tell us a little bit about your update in terms of changing what's going on with your career a little bit? Yeah. So this has been an ongoing thing um, for the last since I graduated PT school. Most everything I've done has been toward this. Uh, and I'm excited by the time this episode airs, I'll be full fully into this. But tomorrow I actually start as a full time professor uh, at West Coast University in their physical therapy program. And that's been my goal and dream. That's why I've done residency fellowship and this Ph.D. program all to move toward that. And I'm very excited uh, it's funny that I have taught as an adjunct for several years uh, at Azusa Pacific. I've taught as a full-time instructor at a PTA program. And for some reason, I am more nervous than any of those for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Just want to do a great job. It's excited. I have such a great team and a really good group of mentors. So very excited to finally become a professor. Really excited for you. So excited. Yeah. I think it just yeah. shows your passion for education and kind of that's where all of this things, all of these things with doctors of physical therapy, oh my gosh, with doctors of running, sorry, came out of yeah. was your passion for education. And so hopefully we're continuing to create a platform for that. Um, in a much lower or like smaller but similar vein. Hey, 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 you can't, don't say that. Come on. <laughs> it's Don't downgrade. This is even important. This is all, it's another shift for me into the education space. So I'm a, I'm a PT in central Wisconsin. Uh, and then part-time I am helping out with the doctor physical therapy school at 
the at UWSP, the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point. I'm their clinical assistant, so I help lead the combined lab sections. And it's been a blast over the last couple of weeks to start actually being in that instructional space and just learning alongside these students and helping them go in their process. So that's another, it's, it's a huge transition, you know, it's a career shift in terms of mindset and the type of physical therapy as a profession is education. That's what we're doing with people all the time. Uh, but being in the space for educating future PTs has been a lot of fun for me too. So two of us has kind of jumped into that education space and it's been a really nice transition. And I only think that our experience there should bolster this platform in terms of how we deliver content. Cause I think we'll learn other ways that we can better communicate. And David's got a big, you got a big update for us too, right? Yeah, man. I mean, I've had a couple. So first one, I got to witness a Dallas Cowboys win. Thank you. That was great. <laughs> Over the Cincinnati Bengals. Let's go. Weed them boys. <laughs> Second, I got a new juicer. And I can now take fresh fruit, put it on the hand, press it down. Thing grinds up, grinds it all up. I can take the pulp out, let it sit, and then just let the juices collect and make things like fresh margaritas. And for all of you that know... I like tacos. It kind of levels up the taco game when you can also have freshly prepared and homemade other things. I make my own tortillas. I make everything else like I'm, I like to cook. So if I can have fresh drinks with the fresh food, it's a solid plus. It's a win. Huge update. Thank you. Thank I, you, I'm DJ. A, I'm, I'm going to give a shout out right now. I think one of the biggest updates for David is that watching, if you follow him on Strava, you definitely, if you don't, you should. Uh, no pressure that his your workouts are doing really oh, yeah. well. I guess that, I like, feel like things fast. are really coming together. Like <laughs> this is training. Like, again, you've been healthy, which is awesome and no pressure. But CIM's coming up. So we're all very, very excited for you. And I think there's going to be some big things. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, hopefully it goes well. We'll see. <laughs> After last year. Yeah, no pressure. No pressure. <laughs> the, the mar- hey, you got to get that out the of the way. The marathon's right? unpredictable. Yeah. yeah. But well, your training's going right. great. You're looking good. So cool. Well, those are some updates from the team. We have been loving this podcast. We wanted to give a little background on us just because the the viewership and audience has grown so much that we wanted to update those who may not have a deeper look into who we are uh, and what we do. In that vein, we would love, if you're new to this podcast, something that helps us keep it free and also helps it grow is if people leave reviews. So wherever you're listening, if you could take 30 seconds, leave a review Get, you know, give your rating for number of stars, leave a sentence or two just explaining why. That will help keep this free and help it grow. That's a huge help to us, so we really appreciate it. But let's jump into our subjective for the week, and we today are going to be diving into the mailbag. We reached out to all of you to get your questions. We're going to be answering as many as we can in the time that we have. Uh, but before we go into that, we'll do our question for you, which is what is the biggest lesson that you've learned from running? We'd love to hear your story and what you've learned from running. And you, David and Matt, you don't have to answer this question, but does anything pop out to you? Matt, you have anything? I think from from my life, it's that just be consistent. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And it's amazing what happens when you do that. I think running and training is very similar. Things kind of go up and down, right? You know, life changes very drastically around you. But if you can just keep putting one foot in front of the other, you'll be surprised how far you go. In all things. Yeah. Yeah. Not just down the street. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me, it would be the, I look at running very similar to the way that I look at mental health. 
because at some point or another when you're running, you're going to encounter a struggle. You're going to encounter a hardship. And it's up to you to determine your reaction and how you cope with said feelings that you're having that are coming in. And so I take a look at it more on the enduring side of things. And like when things start to get hard, can you take that deep breath? Can you relax? Can you continue to move forward? And I think if you get better at doing things like that with running, I mean, there's obviously physiological and biochemistry things that happen in your body, such as endorphins and other things like that. But it makes you better at handling other things in life. And yeah, I think there's a much bigger picture that plays as well. I think there's consistency, there's enduring, and there's also just health and wellness. Yeah. I think for me, there's so, I feel like there's so many allegories from running to life, but one of them for me has been misplaced expectations and misplaced goals and striving too quickly to reach a goal more quickly than maybe you should can lead to injury and pain and burnout. And I think in life, when we try to strive for something that just takes more time, it can be something that just derails everything else. And so being patient with running and being patient with life, I think those two kind of things have gone hand in hand, just knowing what life has looked like when I haven't been patient with my running, I get hurt. And when I get hurt, things are worse off than if I would have gone slower, even though it seems like it could have been more fun to be done faster or whatever it is. So that's one of them for me. The other ones are surrounding relationships and what that looks like in speaking into your own training or your whatever, and then how that community is so important in life. But let's go into our our mailbag. We had a lot of questions from people. We won't be able to hit them all. I'm sorry to those of you who submitted questions that we don't get to yours, but we are going to work our way down the list as much as we can. And this first question I'm going to pose to you, Matt, uh, and and it's this question. If you wear orthotics, do you still need high stability shoes too? So what would you say to that question? Yeah, that's a great question. And this has been something I'm getting not only from the individuals that listen to this podcast, but also recent clinicians. So having as still technically where I work for Kaiser at the moment, so I've had a lot of clinicians reach out about this exact same thing going, hey, I, you know, I, I there's new stuff out here. The, the shoe, footwear is changing very quickly. How stability is done is changing very quickly. And my words of wisdom is going, if you have been given orthotic or you found an orthotic that works well for your foot, right? So that might be over counter, might be custom, doesn't matter. I'm really going to encourage you to look for a shoe that doesn't influence that. So if you have a shoe that has traditional stability methods, you don't know what's going to happen because that's not the environment the shoe was tested in and definitely not the environment the orthotic was tested in because usually orthotics are tested with neutral shoes. Okay, That's how you know there's nothing else influencing them. So for that reason, I would also suggest getting a neutral shoe. Now, there are plenty of you know stable neutral and stuff like that, but don't get a stability shoe. Let the orthotic do what it needs to do, especially if that's been prescribed to you. The other thing for those that may not know, there are actually a couple of shoes on the market that are specifically made to take orthotics. Now, obviously, certain companies like New Balance, some of the others ones will do really well with taking orthotics. But there's two shoes that come to the mind almost immediately. The Brooks Dyad is one even it's still around, which is great. Back when I was working in running stores, that would be the common we bring out because it was designed to be a, both a what. Not we didn't realize I didn't realize it then, but that would be the classic stable neutral shoe. But the way the footbed is designed, everything fits orthotics really, really well. The Saucony Echelon is the other one that works really well as a shoe that's very similar to that, where it's like stable neutral, not a stability shoe, takes orthotics really well. But again, to to come back to that, I would encourage people not to use stability shoes with orthotics. Don't combine those. If you need a stability shoe, 
get a stability shoe. If you need an orthotic, get a neutral shoe and put that orthotic in there so it can do its thing without being influenced. And let's let's even go from a little bit further back view. What if you had to tell somebody what is an orthotic, what kinds of orthotics are there? Because there's, I mean, that, that term can mean so many different things to different people. Um, how would you answer that question? It, yeah, that's a good question. And I, you, you bring up a great point because I've had a lot of people bring in just simple insoles, like replaceable insoles and calls, call those orthotic. That is not an orthotic. So an orthotic is a fabricated device that you would put into a shoe that's supposed to supposedly support or influence the motion of the foot, right? And for those reasons, right, so you'll have an orthotic, the most common ones you'll get, the over-the-counter ones, well, they'll have, they'll have some arch support on the inner side. They'll generally have some additional stiffness there because it's supposed to add some rigidity to the shoe, add some additional arch support. That's traditionally what the over-the-counter ones do. If you're going to a medical practitioner who's prescribing this, you're going to have one that might have some additional methods. So you might have it some, some built-up material or stiffer material on the medial side, on the lateral side of different parts of the foot. You can have these bumps in the front of the foot called a metatarsal pad. Um, they can also provide some support, some of the bones in the front of your foot. There's all kinds of different things. That these, this, it's, a, it's a device, essentially, mm-hmm. that you can put in your shoe. It's not like electronic, although that actually does exist. Mm-hmm. Um, not traditionally, but it's a device that you put into your shoe to somehow support your foot in the way that it needs. That's the custom you one. Used, you um, used the word supposedly influence the foot. So what do we know about yeah. what do orthotics actually do to the foot or to the runner? That's a great question. And it's honestly going to depend on the person. There are plenty of orthotics that you're going to put in them and it may or may not influence the motion. It can certainly influence comfort frequently for a lot of people. How much it can influence motion that's a very difficult thing to answer just because you're talking about one part of the shoe and there's other factors that start influencing that. So it's it can be quite challenging to go, how much is this, of this is actually supported, like changing your movement versus support, you know, providing more comfort or, you know, taking some pressure off certain structures. But the movement part, that's a little more challenging. Nathan, I know you, we've talked about this before. Do you have anything to add to that? No, I I, I think... I think you've added, added some great things for us to think yeah. about. I have one anecdote. So I had a I have a runner that I'm working with right now. They run in the uh, Adrenaline GTS from Brooks, and mm-hmm. they also yeah. have used orthotics, the same orthotics for years. And so he was asking me this exact question: Should I? Do I even need this? Like based on my mechanics, do I need this? That whole question, we don't actually know the answer to. Somebody's mechanics mm-hmm. that we can see with a camera doesn't necessarily say, yes, you need orthotics. No, you don't need orthotics. The, most of the evidence on orthotics basically is short-term use is beneficial for early, right. you know, if somebody has early onset of plantar fascia pain or something like that, short-term use of orthotics. It's very rare that someone needs orthotics forever. Uh, so he, he and I talked about how to transition out of this thing because he's been running in those orthotics with those shoes for years. And even if he doesn't need them, doesn't mean he should just ditch them because he's combining the stability shoe with the orthotics and he tried he, he we had a conversation and i'm kicking myself that i i didn't give him more guidance because he just ditched them and then his soreness came back and he had some new soreness from just ditching them if you've been using them forever we're not telling you just to ditch them it should be a fade out you know slowly fade yourself out right. of this if if you're right. wanting to transition out of it if you're having problems for this particular individual he's having issues that i think are related to uh, the combination of what he's got going on for a myriad of reasons. But if you're going to try to transition out of them for any particular reason, don't just go cold turkey because it is going to change, If you, right. especially if you've been doing it for years. And I think that's a, that's a really important thing to note is going, hey, if you've been using a stability shoe and orthotic for years and it's not giving you any problem, like 
Nathan said, don't just jump out of it just because we said that, right? This applies more to, hey, I went to a running store. I've never really done this before. I've been wearing this type of shoe. And, they, and now I, a medical practitioner, somebody said, you need an orthotic. That transition now is the time of going, hey, pick one or the other, right? But if you've already been in this for a long time, if you want to make that change out, take your time because the things that can influence injury risk is doing too much too soon. That includes jumping really quickly to something that your body's become used to. If you're not having issues with it, you don't always want to mess with it unless you're interested to change. Yeah. If you're interested to change, take your time. Great. Yeah. This I'd, next question oh. – Oh, you want, do you want to add something, David, before we move on? Yeah, I would just say never cold turkey, slow roast it. Thank you. That's good. <laughs> so we're going to give our next question over to you, David. Uh, and I'm actually thinking about your last marathon experience in this, too. So maybe you can share that experience uh, with, with the listeners. But the question from, from the listener was, what are your best recommendations after a goal race before starting a new training cycle? So what are you supposed to do? after that big race before you start a new training cycle for something new yeah i think that's a it's a pretty nuanced question so it depends on the individual as far as where they are in this journey if you're someone that's used to running 100 mile weeks you compete very frequently and maybe you just got through a full season you hit your a race maybe it's nca finals maybe it's the u.s championships regardless of distance some of those people can take a couple days off maybe no more than a week and get back on the grind and do it. That's not for everybody. So I think a lot of it does come with the training base that someone comes into it because there's a lot of people that go couch to 5K, couch to half marathon, 5K to half marathon. There's a lot of people that want to do it to do it. And that's okay. That's great. Like that is an amazing accomplishment in and of itself. So you have a lot of people that they put all this work into just running 26 miles And if that's the situation, you Mm -hmm. probably should give yourself some time off. You've earned it. If you are Mm -hmm. trying to turn over 26 to go run 26 again in three months, well, chances are you've probably been doing this a little bit longer. Your training cycle, I would hope, is reflective of that and that your adaptation to recover and also turn over energy is also a little bit quicker as well. So I think it, it all comes down to who the runner is, what their goals are, Because I wouldn't recommend running CIM in December and then going and turning around and running Houston in January. Like that wouldn't make any sense, right? So I think just taking a look at these micro cycles and these macro cycles, macro cycle being a couple different seasons, like this is a much larger time period. Let's take a look at the next year. So the next year we're going into is 2023. What do I want to do in 2023? And I think you need to be able to answer that. And if you can't answer that, that's okay. You just go back, you think about it. What do I want to do? And then you take a look at it and you say, okay, what do I want to do in 2022? Because 2022 can set up 2023, but 2022 could also be that A year. So if it's if the answer yep. is 2022 is that A year, I'm going for it, then go for it. You know, and if you are if you set it up and you've planned it and you're like, this is it. And you go for it, you hit your goal, everything like that. Take as much time as you want. You hit it. You're good. Relax. You know, you can come (laughs) back. It's not like it just goes away forever. But I think um, I would probably say at a minimum, though, like unless you're really, really well trained up and you're used to turning over energy, I would advise at least a day or two after a half marathon, uh, probably even a week for most people, like if they've just like trained up and just done it and like they're happy to do it. 
Um, but you have some people that, um, where they are turning it over and they're working out that next Thursday or they're, you know, like there's, there's different populations and there's different scaling to this. But after a marathon, a lot of people take two weeks. I think that's fair. You put a lot of work into it. You put your whole body and your heart, your heart, your soul into 26 miles. Like that's a long way to go. Like to give a max effort over two hours worth of running, sometimes over four hours worth of running, right? Like that's a long time to be out there. And all kudos to the people that are out there pushing their bodies for that long to accomplish something. Like you need to take the time to recover. And I think listening to your body, relaxing for a little bit, and getting back to the basics, again, this goes back into the next cycle, right? Where you start looking like if if the goal is to run that race and not do it again, then go relax right off into the sunset. If the goal is I have this after this, well, then you take your week, you take your two weeks and then you get back, you get back to it. And you, but you have to listen to your body. Like for some people, that's going to be one week. For some people, it's going to be two. For some, it's going to be three. It's literally just taking a look at how you're feeling. And then you can also incorporate a little bit of light activity and sprinkle it in there and just, just check in with yourself, see how you're doing to ease back into that process. But I think it's a larger question as to how developed the individual is, how quick can they turn over? And that's going to be different wildly depending on the person. And there's plenty of people even within the same competitive category that are running greater of 30 miles a week differential between the people there's people that are running 100 there's people that are running 50 and they're running the same time like and some people are going to be able to just turn a marathon around and be like okay i'm gonna go for a run tomorrow and others are going to be like no absolutely not (laughs) it's gonna go a little bit longer so i mean i hate to say it depends it seems like a cop-out answer that we always use but it does depend but it does and (laughs) there's a very individualized and i think the subjective feeling that you get and your own readiness is very is something very much worth listening to i don't think i don't believe in forcing something to just force it and if you need a day off take the day off like that's okay because you're building towards something bigger yeah i remember anecdotally after my marathon in october and i'm not an i'm not an experienced marathoner i've ran three two it's more than me basically three i basically ran three so and i was not normal until mid-december and the marathon was in the first weekend in october it was six weeks before i because i remember putting on matt sent me a pair of the adios pro twos and i felt like i was falling off the shoe i do remember this actually and then a couple weeks i was like how is anyone running in this but then a couple weeks later after i had recovered more after the marathon i put them on and i didn't feel like i was falling off at all my my body was fatigued for like four to six weeks after my marathon and i could tell um and it just took a shoe like that to to accentuate it for me but i i needed a long time and i probably even pushed myself too fast which may have been part of why my stress fractures came this year because i didn't allow my body to heal enough matt you have some there is there is initial evidence that within within recreational runners it can take upwards of three months to recover from the stresses of a marathon and remember that you don't get better while you're running, you don't heal while you're running. And yes, there's something to be said for active recovery. You heal during the rest periods. So it's and each person's going to be different. Some people are going to take three months. Some people are going to take, like David said, two weeks. They're going to take a week. 
it you have to see how your body's feeling and i think the more experience you have you'll learn both when when the green light but also when the red light is and so i think the answer it depends is not a cop-out it's you have to learn what works for you Mm -hmm. and that means paying attention to what your body's telling you not what here is but also what your legs and your body's telling you because that's a that's a good good uh analogy a good story it's not an analogy um was going hey this shoe didn't feel weird until felt weird until i'd like oh like i i recovered i can actually produce the force required for this shoe yeah and david i think that's a great i remember you ran csm last year and i just remember you saying over and over like i just feel like i have no gusto in me yeah even on the emotional side of things i was pretty burnt out even before the race yeah and yeah Looking back on it, I mean, and there's little things I could have done better, too. And I think that's also speaks to a much larger audience is like, take care of the sleep, take care of the nutrition, take the fluids when you're running, Um, make sure you're getting enough calories in, make sure you're getting, make sure you take care of yourself. Because if you're not taking care of yourself, you're asking a lot of your body just to get to the starting line. And so I, I remember going into that race and like, I felt pretty good about four-ish weeks out like and then it all kind of came crashing down a little bit and i remember like basically like okay like worst case scenario i'll probably run x and then it was like worst worst case scenario (laughs) and i was like oh okay this is this isn't good and Mm -hmm. it i had to reflect on that and for me it took a good two months probably i don't think i raced again until march not or maybe April. It might have been even later. No, it took you a little bit. It yeah. was a, yeah, it was later than yeah, that. Yeah, I think it was April. I remember. And and that's that race was still a rust buster. Very much so. I ran way under my capabilities. Yeah. And it took a little bit for me to get my groundings again. Like like just my bearings again and to like feel comfortable and be like, okay, no, I I can do this. Like it's not like I it's not like I'm stuck in some weird thing that like, okay, maybe maybe I overtimed, maybe I didn't, but like I think the biggest thing going into that was that I wasn't taking care of myself. I wasn't sleeping well. I wasn't doing the little things that would benefit with that. And so when when April came around, I said, okay, I want to run well at the beginning of May. So if I can take the next four to six weeks micro cycle, right? Like we're taking a look at a gap, a goal, a time, having a nice finite period that you can actually focus for with something bigger in mind. If I can basically just execute and just do things right, there's no reason why I can't run this time. And I decided to do that. I decided to focus on the sleep. I decided to focus on eating. That was probably the biggest thing, honestly, as I probably wasn't eating enough. And that's a much larger conversation. But I decided to take care of those things. Before you knew it, I felt fine. And I'm negative splitting all of my 5Ks. I'm running really, really hard at the end, and I'm winning races. And it's just like there's no reason why this shouldn't have happened before. It's just a literally it's a matter of me taking care of myself and taking the time to recover yep. and listen to my body. And you made some very wise, wise moves that probably weren't easy. You pulled out of races that you were planning to do, too, yeah. in the middle of there. Like you didn't like you just were like, I'm, I'm not there. And it's okay. And you just kind of like pulled out and you're like, it's, it's going to be, I fine. just pulled out of one this so. weekend. I was thinking of doing the UCR cross country yep. invite. And then I thought about it and I was like, I'm doing okay right now. Like if I just sit on this and I wait, like there's no reason why I can't get a good training out effect 
training effect out of what I'm currently doing. And there's just no reason for me to run this race. Like there's no point in racing just to race when you're trying goes back to the, what you talked about with your a goal, a race and B. like, what's your, what's your macro cycle goes back to what you said right at the beginning. Like, what are you doing all this for? Yeah. And thankfully I I have a coach too, that I can run some of this by and he's a good dude. He's a good coach. And ultimately the athlete's going to come first and he's going to be pretty blunt. He's going to like, if it doesn't make sense, he's going to be like, this doesn't make sense. Why are we going to do this? If this is the plan. We should get him on here, like you've said. Yeah, that would be a good episode. On, let's get him speaking, on the show. Speaking of another episode, I'm going to plug two episodes. We did a recovery one not too long ago. And again, that goes into, like, it's not just, hey, are you waiting for your body? It's your sleep, nutrition, all this stuff. So please take that listen. And the other one, all of our stuff with probably Dave Ames, who's talked about, you know, just take your time. And then, David, yeah, we got to get your coach on. I think that's that's a load of wisdom right there. Uh, he's been doing it. He's got episode. some. I mean, I'm. I'll put it this way: I'm probably one of the slowest guys, and or gals, like reference speaking, that he's coaching. Like this, he's good, and he knows what he's doing, and he's been doing this a long time. Yeah, that recovery episode. If you're wondering, is episode 101, so you can go check that out. And that's with Long Run Physio with Ryan wooderson so he, that it was it was a great intro episode to like what is recovery and what's really important so I just realized next, the irony of this 101 i was like oh the recovery, recovery 101. 101 oh that is good yeah right there we go that oh, was sorry. not intentional no, by us. no that might We're be the smoothest pun that Matt's done in a long time <laughs> so we are going to go to our next question which is for matt the question from the person is Saucony Tempest versus the A6 Nova Blast 3. I'm a mild overpronator with bow, bow legs looking for a new shoe. And it sounds like they're trying to decide between these two. So how would you respond to their question? I think that yeah. there's multiple points. Like they're, they gave you little snippets of information about them. So it's not yeah. just what's the difference between these shoes, but he's trying to say, right. do these things match either of these shoes too? So right. what do you think? I, that's a really great question. So again, I would obviously need a lot more information to really, really make a very accurate uh, prescription of which shoe to consider. But I'm going to talk talk you through what I'm what immediately comes to mind. So both these are great shoes. I have both of them in my hands. I've really enjoyed each one of them for very different reasons. Uh, the Nova Blast, the new Nova Blast, is definitely a really great. The foam is really nice. The heel is a little bit more stable than previous. It's not a stability shoe at all. Um, it's more it's stable. It's got a little, a little bit of rear foot guidance, but it's it's definitely not a stability shoe. The Tempest is a shoe that is made as a stability shoe, but it's not aggressive and it's got stability on both sides of the shoe. So my brain, when you said, hey, I've got bow legs, just going to change your center of mass and drive it outwards. And then you having some mild pronation, which is going to drive you a little bit more medial. I would suggest something that's going to help you keep in the middle and not drive you one way or the other. So honestly, comfort in my mind, honestly, I would still consider if you can get both these shoes on your feet, I would really encourage you to try it because at this point, I think comfort's going to be the biggest factor, honestly, about going, how does it feel when you put it on? How does it feel when you go for a jog, right? Because honestly, and Nathan, David have mentioned this before, and we've mentioned this before, that biomechanics don't always mean what we expect them to unless they are actively causing a problem. So I don't know what your injury history is or if this is if any of those mechanical factors you mentioned have even caused you injuries, right? I have no yeah. idea. Um, if if they if you are having a little extra movement side to side, I'd probably suggest the Tempest over the Nova Blast for that reason. But again, if you finding that the Nova Blast is really comfortable, I would go with the shoe that's most comfortable because oftentimes comfort can trump biomechanics, especially if it's, if it's the shoes working for you. But if the frontal plane stuff's a problem, I, I might suggest the Tempest. 
And you said that you've enjoyed them both for different reasons. So what is it right. about the Nova Blast that you've liked? And what's it what's it about the Tempest? Like what reasons have you liked each one? Yeah. So the, the Nova Blast has been this and the and I have a full video review up and then we've got the written review, but it's been a much softer and really nice long run and training run shoe. I can't really pick up the pace in it like I could the previous ones, but it also doesn't irritate my Achilles like the other ones. So, you know, trade off there. Um, it's, it's got a little bit more, it's, it's stable enough for me to handle some mileage in, but not one that would be my first kind of go-to if I needed some stability stuff, but the flight flow blast is plus is really nice. It's really soft. It doesn't bounce, but it's got this nice, like give to it. So it's a really great recovery and long run shoe. The Tempest on the other hand is my, like, it's kind of my go-to just because it's got everything that I would want in terms of, it's got a super foam in it. It's got guidance on both sides of the foot. So it's really non-obtrusive, but really keeps me going. I mean, it kept me going. I mean, our, uh, Nathan and I went to go support my wife as she was running a hundred K and I managed to run 30 mile, 31 miles while she was doing that. And I was running the Tempest almost <laughs> the entire time. I ate a lot of her food. She was, did not have, did not appreciate that. Um, but the Tempest is kind of one of those shoes that I trust based on needing some stability there. Plus the foam and some, this allows me to pick up the pace a little bit better. So it just have, it has different needs. The Tempest is my better all around shoe. The Nova Blast kind of like that good recovery long run shoe. Not to call you out too much, Matt, but yeah. on that day when we were supporting Regina, your mission was to run that far so that you ran a more total weekly mileage yeah, it, than it, she did that week and i was totally like this is was. the epitome of inappropriate goal behavior. setting and expectations yeah. inappropriate behavior <laughs> yeah very inappropriate attention seeking just doing this because i know it'll piss her off to go i just got third place in the u.s 100k champions and championships and this jerk who i married it still ran more than me this week like what <laughs> It's the best way to love your partner well, right? <laughs> exactly. It's just attention seeking. I get drive her. I just have to drive her a little bit nuts. It keeps her on her toes, which is good for her her running form. It works with that, right? You're both competitive. Yeah, you're all competitive. It's great. So we're gonna move on to our next question. It's another shoe question. This one's for David. And the question was: I'm looking for something similar to the Rincon threes, something lightweight for long runs. So that's what they are looking for. What do you think for them? Yeah, I think. Let's take a look at the Hoka Rencon first. So when you take a look at the Rencon series, we're taking a look at a relatively thick slab of EVA, rocker design, lightweight, pretty stripped down upper. I've run in the one and two. I haven't run in the three. I imagine it's not wildly different. I would think that the DNA is pretty similar. I was the only one to get yeah. it. Yeah, But when I think of the Rencon, I do think of something like a little bit higher up, very lightweight, a little bit on the firmer side, but still rolls pretty well. So when I think of that, I think of a lightweight trainer. It's also an EVA slab. So I think of something like similar, like the A6 Evo Ride 3 and or A6 Nusa Tri-14. It's on the same platform. So we've got an EVA slab. I don't have the specs completely on me, but they're both in the seven ounce range. They're both pretty lightweight. They both have a toe spring up front. They both roll through the forefoot. Very, very similar shoes on paper. And I mean, historically, with my experience with the Rincon 2 and the Evo Ride series and the Nusa Tri series, they're pretty similar. Uh, also, similar, but a little bit different. This is a little bit more higher up and a little bit more all terrain based, but we're taking a look at the Craft CTM Ultra. 
So this is the non-plated version. Mm-hmm. It's 40 millimeters of stack in the heel. I don't remember exactly what it is in the forefoot. It's it's about 8. 30. 10. 10. Okay. 10, 10 millimeter. 10 millimeter. 10 millimeter. Yeah. But we've had a lot of shoe here, but it's still a little bit firmer. It still has that rocker design. It still has a little bit of rigidity to it. Um, it's a little bit different in the sense that you could take it all terrain. Um but ultimately, the DNA is pretty but similar. But it, it feels good on it the road, It still feels though. good on the road. Yeah, it still feels it good on the road. It's it one does. of my favorite shoes to do long runs in if it's easy time on feet. Yep, So agree. that's another one. It's in the 8-ounce range, I believe. So also similar to the Rincon 3. Um, another one that I think of, a little bit different, but it's still, I think, in the same category, is something like the Topo Spectre. The Topo Spectre is a little bit softer on foot. It does have a P-Bax lining on the inside, but it has an EVA rim and encasing on the outside. So there's a little bit more structure to that to help stabilize some of that soft, bouncy P-Bax, but it still has that rolling geometry that you would get from something like a Hoka Rincon. So that's a lightweight performance trainer that's also in the neutral category. With that said, it's like you could probably turn over a little bit harder in the Spectre. It's a little bit more bouncy. It's it's not fully EVA like those other two shoes are. But, um, yeah. And then you could also go CTM Ultra Carbon, too, as well. I mean, a little bit heavier on foot just because it has the carbon plate in it. But um, basically the same DNA as the Ultra, just with a plate. So um, I think the... The only difference between the Rincon 2 and 3, by the way, not the only difference, but the main difference was that they increased the cutout through the heel, so it felt a lot more centered in the heel. It's more similar to... Do you remember, DJ, you you described the Saucony Ride 15 as having that wedging sensation in the heel because there was that gap in the middle? There's something relatively similar with the Rincon that it gave that centering in the heel, but from a ride perspective, 2 and 3 were so similar. And... A lot of people have said this, and I agree, that for some reason the Rincon just seems to flatten out a little bit uh, early. So finding something that's similar but maybe can last a little bit longer isn't the worst thing in the I world. I mean, I really love my Evo Ride 3, I really love my Nusa Tri-14, and I really love my CTM Ultra 2. So. And they've held up yes. well with mileage. Yeah. yeah. Matt, are there any you want to add to no, those were great. I actually want to acknowledge, like, I'd never made that connection before, but I think the the Noosa Tri-14 and then the Evo Ride 3 are excellent comparisons that won't kind of, yeah, and I had the same experience with some of the older versions of the Rincon that kind of firmed up pretty quick, whereas the A6 films don't do that. The Spectre didn't do that, uh, although I did rip through the outsole. But yeah, Evo Ride 3 yeah. and Tri-Noosa, that's, those are great comparisons. All right. Next question here is for you, Matt. And this is a question regarding shin splints Uh and calf issues. So we know that we want to do a full episode on shin splints. So we're not going to dive into the minutia of this condition and what it even means. But it's a shoe-specific question. So they're asking, is a firmer or softer shoe better for someone prone to shin splints and calf issues? They they said, I'm doing strength work. So what do you think there? Kind of a bigger, maybe like 30,000 foot view of this question because yeah. we really want to dive into this in a future episode. Yeah. So we'll dive into this later, but just just for the listeners and the viewers so you know that shin splints is a just general term. It means pain usually around the tibial area, fibular area. Oftentimes, it, they're usually referring more to the anterior part, anterior compartment, anterior side of the sh- like shin, right? Sometimes you'll get people that, that say shin splints, but they're also talking about symptoms on the posterior side. There's a lot of stress 
structures in there. And we, I'm not going to dive into each one of them right now. We'll do that in a different episode. But just know that, again, it's not a cop out and I'll explain why. But the answer is going to depend on what might be driving your shin splints. So if the shin splints are and this also depends if this is a little bit more impact related, if you're somebody that's just getting used to running, right, which is that's where shin splints can be very common is you're getting used to the impact forces of running your bones, your muscles, tendons, everything's going, oh, my gosh, we've never done this before. We're just trying to get used to this. So that's very common among newer runners to experience this. If if that's the case, you might benefit from a little softer, but definitely a rockered shoe is probably going to be one of the best things. And why is that? Especially you're going to want a rocker on probably especially on the rear foot, because a lot of people that start a lot of people in general are rear foot strikers. If you have a really sharp edge of the shoe, it's going to pitch you forward. It's going to take a lot more muscular control to do that. So I would encourage you to have a rockered shoe that's going to kind of ease that transition and that toe off a little bit. So you don't have to work kind of as hard. You can get your body used to this. Simon Bartold and I actually had a really great conversation about this, talking about, you know, maybe some newer runners. You may want to consider a little more rockered shoe, a little more cushioned shoe just initially um, just to kind of get into this stuff. But as opposed to whether you need a soft or firm shoe, it's going to depend on, hey, is this a stability issue or is this just more of like an impact getting used to this stuff? If it's a yeah. stability issue, you may not want a softer shoe because softer shoes are going to be inherently more unstable. You might want a firmer shoe because that's going to provide just inherent guidance, not necessarily like a little stability, but inherent guidance that might keep you going a little bit more forwards. So it's going to depend on what's driving this. If you're a newer runner, I would suggest probably a little bit softer, maybe a rocker shoe. If you're someone that's dealing with this from a stability standpoint, I'd probably suggest a firmer shoe for that reason. But it's also the shoes also got to be comfortable to you as well. Yeah, I think one of the uh, we don't need to go further into this, but just to reiterate or just to say, shoes are not going to be your most important part when it comes to shin splints. And this person asking the question probably knows that, but they probably have been having this go on. They want to know everything that they can do to help it, but likely shoes are not your number one cause of of right. shin pain. So you should keep your shoes up to date, though. So if those things are worn sure. out, that is definitely a reason to change. And that is a common symptom. We don't have any evidence that I know of, but testimonially, a lot of people that have had their shoes wear out and they've lost some of the shock absorbing or cushioning ability might be time for a new pair. And you might be surprised how quickly things feel better. Yeah. Next question here is one I'm going to try to tackle at least a little bit, but I definitely want y'all to speak into this. The next question they're asking, does too much Z2, zone 2, heart rate training make you slow? They've been following question. uphill athlete and 80 to 90% is in Z2, in zone 2. So they're basically asking, is running slow going to make me slower? And the answer is uh, no, if you're doing the other stuff right. <laughs> so right. I, I think with most of the runners that I work with, this is probably one of the biggest misconceptions, and it's something that is so – it's like a logical, fine line where where this kind of comes in. But the what I think is the hardest thing to conceptualize here is to get faster, I need to run faster. But that gets extrapolated to get faster, I need to run faster all the time. So I think that's the extra step in the logic that people tend to make. And the reason it tends to stick in people's minds, at least for slightly newer runners, especially is because, and I, this is what I see a lot of times when I work with people is people start to run. Every run is hard. They keep running harder and they are getting faster. And then they see me because they end up getting hurt. 
So yes, running faster will make you faster, but our bodies aren't made to run at, you know, zone four every single day of the week. We won't have enough recovery in between those runs to get better. So the reason that zone, one of the reasons that zone two and lower effort runs, kind of the runs that you could feel like you could run forever or you could sing a song in the middle of those runs, the reason that those need to be huge volume of of your work is because our bodies can't recover uh, from harder efforts more often. So we need to have a lot of our volume at this lower effort. And you're not going to get slower because all those daily runs aren't designed to make you faster. The hard efforts and specific workouts that purposely tax certain energy systems are what make you faster. You don't need to, if you want to become an Olympic weightlifter, you don't squat 600 pounds every single day. You squat 600 pounds and then you take some time off before you do a heavy squat day again. Um, I think sometimes it's easier to understand in the concept of weightlifting than it is running. So the same is true with running though. You know, doing one tempo effort or one hill workout, your body isn't designed to do that every day. And if you just try to push hard, push hard, push hard, you're going to get hurt. And to get the changes that we want in our running, we don't need to run in zone four three days a week or four days a week. The stimulus can be high enough from one workout a week to get the changes that you want. It does just take longer, but it's not going to make you slower to run slow um, on those easy days. That just, that won't happen. You're not going to lose fitness by running easier. There's other adaptations and strengthening of our body structures that happen with slower runs. So I want you guys to add on to that, but I think from a big picture, uh, that's how I would answer that question. I, that's, I think that's excellent. I think what helps runners at least helped me was understanding the purpose of each run so you're not supposed to run hard every single day you certainly can if you're going to do that you can't run every day you're going to need to only run a couple days a week because that stimulus right so your body doesn't get better you don't get faster while you're running you get faster when you allow your body to recover from that faster run and those adaptations to go that bring you up to a new level going oh my gosh we did this i recovered now i can do this better Mm-hmm. If, but those longer, easier runs are very important for development and running. That's why people talk about a base phase. You've got to build up the tissue endurance, the tissue tolerance to those loads. You've got to build up the aerobic system, all this other kind of stuff that gets improved mostly with those longer and easier runs. Then you start fine-tuning some of the other stuff with faster runs, different types, whether it be hills, tempo, interval, all this kind of stuff. If you need to, what would will help you understand this is going, if you know the purpose of each individual type of run, and this is where people, you know, like David and his coach, especially this, there's a, there's, there's a, there's a skill to weaving this all together, which sometimes having a coach being able to see the bigger picture can be helpful instead of going, I need to do this today because I didn't do this on the, the yesterday. Each, if you know the purpose of each, you'll know why you can't do that every day. And again, one of the biggest things from running easy is also be re- to recover from that prior effort. Totally. David, do you have anything you want to add to this one? Yeah. Or? As the no, fastest really. guy of the group. <laughs> I think um, when we take a look at training, I'm reluctant to rely strictly on a zone because that implies a number and a range mm-hmm. that you need to fall in. I think taking a look at the energy system and the relative effort that you're putting down is more important. That subjective feeling, kind of getting back to it. When you're going hard, you're going hard. And obviously, there's going to be different ranges physiologically, whether or not you're doing lactate threshold work or you're anaerobic 
or you're doing something more oxidative in, in the aerobic system, like, of course, that's going to happen. But when you take a look at your easy days, I think it's important to make sure that you can hold a conversation, make sure those easy days are easy. I think that's ultimately the principle of this zone two and like what people try to do with this heart rate type training, but there are genetic differences as well. And there are some people that are going to be north of that on easy days. And partially that might be because they're recovering from yesterday. Their heart rate might be a little bit higher. Their body might be a little bit more taxed for good reason because they worked hard the day before. So as hard Mm -hmm. as you possibly try, you might not be able to fall in that range. And there's no point in slogging out like super, super, super slow miles to the point where you're just trying to keep your heart rate down. Like just go out and have a nice, relaxing, easy day. But with that said, go and have an easy day. You should be able to talk. You should feel pretty good. That doesn't mean that you push the hills. That doesn't mean that you are surging. Like you shouldn't be like winded. Like it should be an easy day, but you don't need to look at the watch You don't need to look at the pace. You don't need to look at the heart rate. Like, just go out and get that time on feet. Get those aerobic adaptations because Klein hit the nail on it on that one where it's like most of the adaptations you're getting are on those days. Like, yes, you have to create a stimulus that creates change and to build from. But if you don't build from it, that's the recovery piece. You're not going to continue to get better. And so you need to be able to scale these things. It's like almost like having a business. You can't maximize productivity every single day. You have to have certain contingencies in place. You have to have a business structure, a plan, and how you're going to scale things correctly. And the same goes for your body and physiological adaptations. I, I will say from ex, from some limited experience and then also being a geek and looking at elite athletes training, if you really dive into what they're truly doing most of the time, it's usually very easy because they're trying to recover from how incredibly hard the efforts that they did were. Um, I got a personal experience with this one before I left for PT school in Southern California. I was training with a couple Kenyan guys who were living in Portland running for either Nike or Adidas. And it was very humbling, both because they would just trash. I was obviously not the most elite. I was they were nice enough to let me come run with them, but they would trash me on workout days. But they would drive me nuts on easy days because they'd start the run at like 10, 11, 12 minute miles. And I'm like, these these individuals are all like 208, 207, 209 guys. And I'm like, what are you doing? And they're just like, why are we going to rush this day? Like, do you know what this day is for? And they're like, just taking it easy. They would always show up late because it was because they were just, again, everything was just about recovering and taking your time. And so I think that kind of maturity and patience is really important if you're thinking about long-term goals, longevity and long-term goals. And this especially, again, I'm going to pitch this with my own research is looking at master's runners. This becomes that much more important as you get older because you don't recover as fast. So how you're thinking about pace and all those things kind of needs to go, you know, paying attention to your body. A coach can be really helpful, but going, you got to make sure you recover because if you don't recover, you're not going to get the adaptations. You're either not going to get better or you're going to get hurt. That's great. And David, I'm glad you also brought up just going back to your comment. People get paralyzed by actual heart rate and training, and there's so many variables outside of your heart rate that can change it day to day. Anecdotally, most of the time when I'm working out and I'm running hard, or let's say I race a 5K, my heart rate is actually, my average heart rate is almost is almost always lower during the workout than it is on my recovery day. And I'm running a good two to three minutes slower per mile when I'm running my recovery day. 
And it's because you're recovering. Yeah. Like you put in a big effort and you are recovering. Your body is taxed. So I think to stick yourself in yeah. a zone for the sake of sticking yourself in a zone, I think I think it loses its merit, but I see the I see the principle behind it where the, I think they're just trying to tell you to right. reel it back a little bit and focus on an easy day. But there's some days it's just not going to happen. And there's evidence that shows matches between heart rate and energy systems and all that kind of stuff. But also, at the same time, there's good evidence on the use of perceived effort and what sort of kind of injury risk that might put you at and what sort of effort level your body's undergoing. So you don't have to say, I have to be a heart rate person. And you don't have to say, I have to be just a relative effort person. There's some give and take in there. Just don't get paralyzed. I think that's the hard thing. Like running is supposed to also be fun. So let's let it be fun uh, and just be, be smart too. So we're trying to do both at the same time. And I can realize that can be tricky. So this is going to be our final question. This one I'm going to direct towards Matt. This is a longer question. Actually, I have two questions, but the second one should be a little bit shorter. So, But uh, this is kind of the last full question. Uh, And forgive me, it's a little bit longer. So here we go. They're asking, should I wear carbon-plated shoes for my race day for the Berlin Marathon? I've done long runs uh, in both the A6 Metaseed Sky and the Sky Plus and the Endorphin Pro 3, they say parentheses, despite hating the previous versions. They have a PR of 4 hours and 23 minutes. In previous marathons, they've done in the New Balance RC Elite 2. And the problem was is they got hip and knee pain in both races. So this is kind of where their questions are coming from. They said, I'm not sure if that's due to the plate or the shoe or if it's just them. And they also don't know if they're fast enough to benefit from the plate in the first place. They say, my long run shoe is the uh, more V3 from New Balance. That's the one they do the, the most. And they're like, I think I'll pack that one in my suitcase. And they've done a treadmill long run in the Ultra Vanish Tempos. They've enjoyed those as well. And she was saying those would be her two non-plated options. She feels like she might be in the 410 marathon shape right now. So there's a lot to unpack there, but why don't you take it however you want to? Yeah, so let's let's start out with the fact that especially as we get into the three, four, five-hour range, people ask like, hey, is there a benefit to using carboplate? I should – let's clarify and say super shoes, right? Because a lot of this really comes down – this is – I won't go off on this tangent, but a lot of it comes down to the combination of factors, not just the plate. Um, and that actually – I'm not going to do it. Don't um, do it. Don't do it. Okay. So just know it's not the carbon fiber plate. It's the entire entirety of the shoe. And these shoes are very aggressive. So you pick the RC Elite 2, which is a great shoe, but it's also very soft. And a lot of the mechanics are such that it's kind of, it locks your foot in really well. And this is something I experienced where I, as somebody who has a lot of motion at the foot and ankle, I did great in that shoe at the foot and ankle, but I actually got a hip irritation in that shoe because it's so soft and it's rocker. It's going to end plate. It's going to shift work up towards your knee and hip. So that makes sense. That might have been too aggressive for you. Now, again, you've got the Endorphin Pro 3. You've got these other shoes that are great. But if you're looking, you have to decide, are you looking to run fast or do you want to finish? And so Dustin Jubert has done some really good research and a couple other people have looked at, hey, not a lot of people, I'm sorry. Like what benefits do runners get when they're running in the three and a half, four, five hour range? And the answer is when it comes to these plated, these super shoes, you at, you do get a benefit, but it's not nearly as much as when you're running at some of those faster speeds and you're kind of loading the shoes the way they're being tested on a lot of these elite athletes. So when it comes down to going, hey, I'm trying to run 410. Comfort's probably going to be your best friend. So when you talked about like the Vanish Tempo and the more, which the more V3 and the Vanish Tempo could not be more different. These are very, very different shoes, right? So I've got the Vanish Tempo 
with me and that's like you know kind of lower eight ounce a it's got a newer what i think i don't know because ultra doesn't say but a, a tpu it feels like an expanded tpu foam zero drop so that's going to put a lot more it's going to put a lot more work into the calves right it is rocker it's got you know it's it's fast it's fun my if you get this and hear this before i'd almost suggest trying the more v4 if you still have time before it because i actually found that that is a lighter it's a little lighter than the version three but it's still a really comfortable it's stable it seems to balance things out really really well but i'm gonna say i don't think you need a carbon fiber plated shoe for this um especially if you're finishing and you're in pain right marathons and stuff are gonna hurt right that's that's normal but if you're getting like pain pain in joints as if this area is like that that may or may not be the best option for you because you might be loading something in a way that your body's not like nathan you got something i could see you yeah my my question for them would be yeah i know that they got hip pain and knee pain in both of those races my question would be did they feel like that hindered them from performing better on that that's day because a, if they're question. just having some soreness in the marathon yeah. and you feel yeah. like you were getting bent you might you get a little bit of benefit from the shoe take that little bit of discomfort on race day to take a little bit of benefit but if you're getting yeah. to mile 18 and you're like oh i'm starting to change my stride i didn't feel good because i'm getting this soreness there's right. enough about the shoe that could lead to that hip and knee pain that would say Maybe find something that's been working for you better on long runs. And my my gut when I was reading their question, which they gave us some information, was yeah. if you're loving the more V3 and you've just been hammering long runs in that thing, do it. You right. know, like get your save zone, have a new a fresher pair out there and just right. not a brand new pair, but a fresher pair right. and just go rock it in that. That was my my gut when I when I read yeah. that question. With that with that question of Yes, you got hip and knee pain, but did it hinder you or was it just present? Right. That would be my bigger question for them. Yeah, and I think I, I totally agree with that. And I also say that the Vanish Tempo makes me a little bit nervous just because it's very different from some of the other shoes you mentioned. And we want to make sure that you're comfortable on race day because you don't want to try crazy new things on race day because you're going to already have different things you got to deal with, right? You might start late. You might have different nutrition than you expected. Try to control everything you can. And I, I agree with Nathan. I think that the more v3 is probably going to be a good option for you if the fuel cell has been causing you issues or if you really haven't done the time that you expected in some of the other shoes like the endorphin pro 3 which i love the endorphin pro 3 that would probably be my choice right now based on what i'm experienced with it but we you know it's not it's different right it's you and yeah. what you've been training so the shoe you're most comfortable with during long runs is probably the one i'd suggest it sounds like the more yeah david the final question is for you are you ready for this yeah, go for it this this question this question rolled in last night and the question is what is the ideal beer mile shoe oh jesus man <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know this one was coming i didn't give you asking me like i can <laughs> chug i can't chug i'd probably run like a 12 minute beer mile uh, <laughs> uh, have you run a beer mile before I, why would i do that i i've never i never have am i the only one You've ran See, a beer mile? Two. I won both. It's it's more your ability to chug than I think it is genuine speed. Yeah. How much do you have to chug every... What's... Okay, yeah, let's... It's sorry. For me and my naive beers. self, like, what what does it actually entail? Every it's four lap, beers. You have well, to... Well, not every... <laughs> you'd probably be dead, but no, it's one beer per lap. Yeah, so the lap. rules are... So yeah. Full, yeah. It depends on what... Yeah, it's every lap. So you have to finish it completely before you a can, can start. Yeah, yeah, a 12 ounce. Like it depends can? on who you're. Yeah. 
12 yeah, ounce beer bottle glass whatever yeah the original version was doing the full bottle right you got to finish the whole oh. thing before you can start Wait, your lap pints or okay. 12 ounces and then so the bottle 12 like a regular bottle like yeah so it's 12 yeah. ounces yeah yeah so it's okay yeah some people get a little snooty about using can versus bottle this is not me Sorry. i'm not an expert at this but just so we so don't get rude comments you have to drink drink a beer run a lap drink a beer yeah. run a lap and you have to do that four times if you throw up you have to do an extra lap and similar to like a relay, you this have a zone. So, so like you have like was like ten meters or so that you have like you can yeah you have to you stay can there. walk with it like while you're drinking it, but you have to have that thing done by the time you hit the line to hit the next lap. Yeah. So you have about a to little start. bit of a relay oh, yeah. zone that you, you have a window. You don't have to stop cold turkey. You can slow roast it, but you have to be able to put it down pretty quick. And so slow right. roast has been used twice yeah, in this I episode. <laughs> So, man, I don't know. Like, if you can, what's the shoe? If you can chug and you can run fast, by all means, go ahead and wear a track spike. But like, <laughs> that's probably there's been a lot of road beer miles on the road. There have so the, been some I think the, the beer mile world championships from Flow Honestly, Track was on the road. Something you feel comfortable walking and running fast in because you have to stop and accelerate. You're not yeah. just running fast, so it's got to be something that you feel comfortable enough that you're not rocking forward and back, or you feel unstable when you're stopping. Like, oh man, that's a tough one. You know, I think for me right now, if I really had to pick one, and it's a road beer mile, I would probably go with either the A6 Metaspeed Edge Plus because it has a little bit of a wider base and a lot of responsiveness and I feel comfortable and it's firm <laughs> enough on the base that I'm like, okay, I can I can pop off of this and I can also slow down and stand and be okay. Or the Saucony Endorphin Pro 3, a little bit softer, but it's got a wider base and I can still turn over and run hard. But... Um, you know, uh, I mean, it's a serious question, and it's something that is obviously worth answering because someone's thought about it. And I'm gonna put it out there, and <laughs> I'm not a I'm not an expert when it comes to beer miles. I'm just gonna say that outright. But <laughs> that's that's what I'm envisioning. If I really had to pick one, if I'm on the track, I might go Addy Zero Avanti just because it's probably a little bit more comfortable to stand in than the Dragonfly. Let's make this. Go ahead, Matt, and then I'll. That should have been this should have been our subjective question. <laughs> I got it. Well, that. let's make it. Yeah, Sub- what, you what? can answer this. Is this sub- <laughs> if you subjective. make it through this whole episode? Here's our second subjective question. And, what would be your be- what would be your beer mile shoe and why? I think the and why is really what I want to hear. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's hear it. So everybody, thank you so much for submitting questions. We didn't get to everybody's, which means that we can package these keep them held somewhere we might come back to them in the future we plan to try to do these i think once a month or every six weeks just to keep garnering your feedback and you know be, making sure we're answering questions that you care about thank you so much for sticking with us if you want to check out what we're doing you can head over to our website docsrunning.com and you can also be following us on instagram facebook and twitter and linkedin just as a way to keep track of all of the things that we're putting out over time if you have further questions for us don't be afraid to email us at docsofrunningpodcast at gmail.com and again if you're willing to take a minute here uh, subscribe to this podcast subscribe on the youtube channel and leave us a review that really helps will help us keep this free and will help uh, us just kind of grow a little bit so thanks for listening and thank you all for your questions